Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of CrossCast. My name is Chad Barlow. I'm the pastoral intern at The Crossing Church. This is a conversational style podcast where I will be interviewing the pastors and other people from our church talking about how to be disciples and make disciples for the glory of God and the joy of His people. Today's episode is going to be on ministry philosophy and my guest is Rich, Richard Gardner. Welcome, Rich. Hey, Chad. Thanks for having me. It's good to have you on here. Um, as I have done with the last two episodes, I just want to hear a quick testimony from you. How did you come to believe Jesus is Lord and King and Savior and treasure? And then I also want to know just a fun, interesting fact about you. All right, Chad. Well, yeah, I, uh, I also just want to say that how much I appreciate you doing this podcast. I think uh, I have been one in the last few years who has really found podcasts to be very encouraging as uh, I'm out doing side jobs and construction jobs here and there, um, I just can plow through podcasts, and I've really appreciated a number of them. And so I think this is great for for our body to hear from us and hear from you, and just appreciate your vision for this. And so glad to be a part of this today. Yeah, of course. So just a little about me. Um, yeah, I am a Colorado native, and uh, uh, grew up over on the Western Slope, an area that you're familiar with, over in Grand Junction. Uh, was born in Denver, but I uh, was raised over in Grand Junction there. And uh, I did come to faith at a, at a young age, was uh, raised in a Christian home. My father was a, actually a pastor, and my parents both taught uh, during the week in a small Christian school. And so I was raised in a context in which I was uh, I had the gospel taught to me uh, week in and week out, and uh, in a context in which I, I, I came to see and, and recognize the example of of my parents and others and came to believe in the gospel at a young age, was baptized and, uh, you know, like, like all of us had ups and downs and all, but, uh, really, uh, grew into really, uh, understand the fullness of the gospel that really transformed my life even into college and just God gripped me uh, more and more and has just held me fast uh, through the years and so was just uh, thankful for my family for my parents that really uh, just instilled with us a love for for the word of God and the beauty of, of the gospel um, and so yeah I was just thankful for the way God worked in my life even even at a young age so not a radical transformation but a life that uh, God has just been continuing to pursue me. Um, even, even from my, my youngest memories. And, uh, in terms of something interesting about me, probably one of the most interesting things is, uh, that I have four boys. So my wife and I are uh, parents to four boys and, uh, we actually were not expecting to have four boys. We were, uh, after having three children, we were pretty sure that that was God's will for us. And <laughs> we were finished up. Uh, we were so convinced of that. In fact, that, uh, uh, I took extreme measures to uh, ensure that we didn't have any more kids and uh, had a little operation. And for a year and a half, we felt like our family was complete and uh, we're thankful for the three boys that God had given us. And then lo and behold, we realized that God had other plans for us and uh, a different path. And so uh, my wife found out we were pregnant uh, to our uh, very big surprise. And uh, after wrestling through that, we realized, well, hey, God is sovereign over our lives and even over all of these aspects of our family as well. And so uh, he gave us a fourth boy uh, a little over three years ago, and uh, it's just been a joy to uh, have a house full of that. My wife is uh, a saint for uh, all that she puts up with and endures in the chaos of, of our home. And so, yeah, that's just been a, an interesting uh, season that we've been walking through over the last few years. 
And so your youngest son's name is Brecken. Does that like mean divine sovereignty or does that mean like breaking, like a breaking through of a, of a man-made surgery or what? No, but, uh, that, that we, we could probably add that to there is it's a name that I, that we just kind of made up. So for us, it does, it does mean all of that. Cool. Uh, one more comment for you, Rich, and for anyone else out there, you, as you shared your testimony, um, sometimes I hear people who, who don't, I should say Christians who don't have this, um, crazy salvation story of, you know, I used to be into drugs and, and I just want to encourage you and anyone out there, like the same Holy spirit who like saved you from a young age is the same one who saved me out of a life of pursuing track and field success and women and, and partying, you know, the, the same miraculous power that saved me from the the crazy debaucherous life and others is the same Holy spirit who protected you from that and saved you at a young age. So praise God for all the different kinds of salvation stories. Yeah. 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 So thankful for, for God's work in my life. Yeah. uh, It's yeah, it's just as powerful. It's the same power of the resurrection is at work in all of us. Yeah, and totally. So it's, it's great. Yeah. I was I was no less dark for my, you know, moral uprightness even totally. at a young age. And there's, I still needed salvation. I still had the darkness that that we all have, mm-hmm. and uh, we all need Jesus. And so, um, yeah, that's a good word. Yeah. So I want to talk to you today about um, ministry philosophy. Um, got a few questions for you. The first one is: Every church has a ministry philosophy even if they can't articulate it. Most of them hopefully can, but maybe some just do what works, and that would actually be a ministry philosophy, pragmatism. But before we talk about the crossings ministry philosophy, can you just define what we mean by ministry philosophy? Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, so when I think of ministry philosophy, um, I'm not thinking of necessarily... Um, what maybe even the crossing would have is like our tagline per se of love, live legacy, the way that kind of embodies our values and, and virtues. But when I think of ministry philosophy, I'm really thinking of those kind of underlying uh, guiding principles that really determine the trajectory of, of, of how a church is going to operate and, and the things that are going to really shape what we do together. It's going to be kind of that theory and, and underlying guiding principles uh, principles that really shape what we do. How does a church, how does our church or a church decide what their ministry philosophy is or is going to be? Yeah, I think most churches, for, for most churches, that it it's bound up with really the, the, the question of what you think the church is. Um, it starts with that first foundational question. What, what is the church? Whoa, that sounds like another podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. So not to get into all of that ecclesiology, but even just the simple question of, is the church an organization that hosts events for people to come and be fed by and merely, you know, kind of grow through this organization they, that they come to almost as if a business that offers various services. And, um, even though, most churches would say, no, that's certainly that's not what we are. We oftentimes tend towards falling into that kind of practice, I think. And versus if you, if you think that the church is primarily a people that, 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 is, that is brought together by God for a specific purpose, then I think how you, how you view those 
those that question as just merely an organization with leadership that hosts events for people to be a part of, or a, or a, a people that's gathered and brought together for God's purposes, I think will really shape the how you how we approach what we do together. And so I think just just starting with that question, of what do we actually think the church is, and and what how are we going to approach then living out that identity um, within our world? And I think. Those are the questions that are bound up with how, how a church actually arrives at, at how they do what they do. Um, is the church first and foremost to be a place where discipleship is, is, is happening, or is it a is it merely an organization that's supposed to you know you know be a place in which that, that is just constantly seeking just to reach out to non-believers? And so it's where you'll get into kind of the classic kind of seeker mentality church versus kind of a more discipleship oriented church, however you want to try to kind of pit those uh, different positions. Um, and, and granted, no, no church ever is fully one or the other, but we, we oftentimes do tend towards leaning in one direction or the other. That's some prophetic foreshadowing that I'm probably going to ask you later if it comes up about who primarily the church gathering is for. But I've seen, even just as a young man, kind of just to echo what you said, young man, young aspiring pastor, if, we could, if I could caricature the, the sides of the debate in America, it's, it's the seeker-focused, like, pragmatism. Um, and I'm not trying to sound too much like a hater when I say these things, but just like, n- not necessarily a, like a deep theological lens, but just like, what works and how are we making sure um, unbelievers feel extremely comfortable in our gathering? And then you have, um, you could go to the other, I could swing to the other side of the pendulum and just say, we, you know, we're going to lock the doors a minute after service has started. We're going to do three hour services that are, that are so like kind of legalistically, this is, you know, kind of like the regulative principle, which I'm not hating on it again, but just like if the Bible doesn't say we can do it, we shouldn't do it. And I think we're, we're, we're good in the middle, and we're going to talk about that here. So let's move on to the, to the meat of this podcast, Rich. What is our, and by our I mean the Crossing Church's ministry philosophy? Yeah, so to sum that up, that's a big question um, that we could spend a lot of time on. But to try to summarize, I'd, I'd probably point to what has been for, I know myself and the other leadership uh, at The Crossing, two books that we that I think really shaped us in our philosophy of ministry. And it was actually for me, uh, before I came out and joined The Crossing, uh, about a year after it had started, it was actually having read these two books and then coming and visiting uh, the church and reconnecting with an old friend of mine who was uh, in leadership at the church at the time and having conversations with them and seeing what they were teaching. And I, I could just tell very clearly that it was it was also these same ideas and thoughts that had really shaped and were shaping the, the foundations of the crossing from day one, which is what really drew me as a pastor. And at the time, just, just wanted to be a part of this because I felt like it was something that I could really get behind that I really uh, agreed with deep in my bones. And so, um, those two books were, uh, the first one is, is called Total Church. And Total Church is a book that really is a, is a simple book, but really lays out kind of more the theological grid for kind of the foundational guiding principles of who we are as a, as a people. 
And the things that they highlight in there is the absolute importance of, of a church to be grounded in a, a gospel culture and also driven towards a, a community that's shaped by the gospel. So those ideas of gospel and community are, are just foundational to what they try to articulate that should shape everything that we do and everything that we are as a church. And uh, kind of the, the way that I often like to say it is coming out of this book was uh, this line that, that we believe that gospel truth creates a gospel community that is therefore sent out on a gospel mission. And so for me, those are like three non-negotiable kind of foundational principles that are going to guide us as a church. They have gospel truth, gospel community, and gospel mission. And if you, it's interesting, if you, if you try to take away any one of those, what kind of maybe type of church you might be left with. Because if you take gospel and mission, but leave out uh, the, the community aspect of it, or, or, or rather, if, if you take out the, the, the truth aspect, if you have just community and mission, then you likely will end up with some kind of more just a social justice kind of driven church. Um, if, if we lose that gospel truth aspect, if you take gospel community and gospel truth and, and hold those together, you may end up with what you almost articulate as kind of that holy huddle that just gets kind of insular and, and grown in ourselves. And, and Hey, we want to isolate from everybody else. And we have the truth and we're going to hold down to it and just, you know, just be, uh, this kind of thing unto ourselves. And then if you take gospel truth and gospel mission, uh, you may end up with kind of the Lone Ranger kind of Christianity that I don't I don't need the church I don't need anybody else they just kind of slow me down and so I'm just gonna take my Bible on my own and go you know proclaim the gospel to everybody else and so I think we need each of those three elements of of gospel truth gospel community and gospel mission and that was that was something that I think was well articulated in this in this first book Total Church that I think really helped shape me um, as a as a young you know leader, and I think has, has shaped the crossing as kind of some foundational commitments that, that are going to guide and direct us in, in what we do and the things we give ourselves to. And the other book that I think really has shaped us, and this, this book has really shaped more of kind of the practical outworking of, of how we maybe are, are, are more drawn to practice um, kind of the, the foundational principles that we have. And this book was called The Trellis and the Vine, and offered just a really helpful image and analogy for us as, as church leaders. And just to summarize that real, real quickly, they, they view the trellis and vine as like, you know, if you look in your backyard and you see a, a grapevine or, or some other kind of vine growing up a trellis, you see that, that uh, in order for a, a vine to grow, it, it usually needs something to attach itself to, something for it to, to grow up and to be, to be cultivated on. And so they, they, Imagine church as kind of this mixture of trellis and vine. And what, you know, the, the trellis is, is kind of your church structures and everything kind of that you need as an organization to really operate. Um, but then they, they say the, the, the vine is really just is really the people of the church and the ultimately the call to discipleship. And what they what they argue for is that we really need to give attention to vine work and really seeking to to grow a healthy vine not just build a really elaborate trellis. And sometimes you can have a great 
you know, beautiful trellis in the backyard with just no vine on it. And so what they argue for is not that we don't need a trellis. We, we, we certainly do. We need a good, strong, sturdy trellis that can facilitate the growth of the vine, but not uh, a beautiful, elaborate trellis at the expense of really giving attention to the important work of, of growing the vine. And so what that kind of analogy has, has helped us evaluate is, is what, are, what do we really most importantly need to give our attention and our time and our pursuits to? And so that's kind of shaped us as a, as a church that has often been viewed as really light on programs and uh, really kind of driven more towards seeking to raise up and develop um, uh, disciplers and disciple makers. And so that, that's really caused us to to see ministry as something that shouldn't merely just fall on the few, as there's kind of been this 80-20 rule in a lot of churches where, you know, 80% of the work is done by 20% of the people or whatever ratio you want to put on it. But, uh, but oftentimes, you know, pastors get viewed as, you know, okay, we're, they're the paid, you know, full-time professional ministers, and so therefore it's on them to do the work of the ministry. And rather than, as Scripture says, that God has given pastors and church leaders to equip the saints for the work of ministry. And so it really pushes us to see the church as as all of us as vine workers, as vine laborers. And so our desire as pastors is to really invest in people, to raise them up, train them up, to be a part of that ministry, to continue to cultivate the vine, rather than for us as pastors to kind of organize a bunch of, you know, ministry programs that we then get volunteers to participate in and kind of fill roles. And so it's just a, a little bit of a shift um, for us away from maybe what could be viewed as like traditionally just having, you know, certain ministries because that's what churches do. And so um, we, we want to have a, a trellis that actually supports the vine growth, not build the trellis and then, you know, hope for vine growth. So we want to build the trellis as we see the needs of the vine uh, that are there. And so that's been a really helpful book for us is the importance of, of really investing in a few for the sake of multiplying ministry down the line as we can gather more co-laborers around us as pastors and leaders to where everybody sees themselves as a, as a vital part of, of laboring and working. Because if we can get everybody in the church to come and with us, look out at who they can disciple, who they can care for, then we're in a place where we could actually maybe multiply the church as we, as, as we continue to, to draw people into leadership. That's good. I, that, I haven't read Total Church. I really want to, but I've read The Trellis and the Vine, and that was paradigm shifting for me. Um, and, but you talked about um, how on, on one side, if we build too elaborate of a trellis um, and, and neglect the vine, that's not good. But also now devil's advocate, with no trellis, the vine can grow all over the backyard. It can become just kind of take over and maybe unhealthy in some ways. So, and I didn't hear you say that a trellis is not good, but just on the other side, it's good to have some form of trellis where we see the vine growing so the vine can grow on it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Certainly. Yeah. Yeah. Just a, a loose vine out there just going everywhere. Nobody wants that either in their backyard. And so, yeah. So the, the, the analogy holds true on, on the other side as well. And that's a really good point is that we, we need structure. We need, you know, organization as a church. Um, but we just need to 
stop and, and, and make sure that, that we are considering that we're building trellis that Vine is actually going to grow on and not just going to look really pretty. Totally. Yeah, because sometimes, you know, you, you see that in churches or, or I've even experienced it where there's, you know, lots and lots of, of trellis work and lots and lots of hours put into some trellis and it doesn't seem like the vine is growing there or growing much there. And that's, that's a tension we, we feel in ministry for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And I think even for, for me in my role uh, here at the church, there's a lot of, you know, administrative stuff or building maintenance, even with our property and all those things that, that I've gotten, you know, sucked into and get, you know, invested in. And those things are, are necessary things are, are good things. But if we're not careful, those things can really overwhelm and overtake us to where we spend all this time, you know, making sure our building is pristine and we, we got everything, you know, dialed in, in terms of, you know, organizational structures. And then we step back and be like, Oh, who have we actually discipled lately? And so I think for me, it's always that constant challenge. Daniel's always really good about that of like, Hey, we, we need to be focusing on vine work, vine work. Um, because the, the trellis work is always there. There's always more we can fix or repair, or, you know, make better on that end. And, uh, so we, we need both. And I think the book calls for, for the, us to recognize the value of both, but, uh, really pushes us to, to focus on what are we doing to make sure and ensure that we are investing in the growth of the vine. Mm -hmm. So if people, um, you know, are nerding out about this and we highly recommend reading Total Church by who? Uh, Tim Chester and Steve Timmis were two guys that kind of collaborated to write write that book. And uh, The Trellis and the Vine by Tony Payne and, and Colin Marshall. Marshall. Yep. Yeah. So at The Crossing, we is it fair to say we have two main trellises? I've always heard you guys say up front when you're casting vision, we have two main pillars. Is, that our, is the Sunday gathering and life groups, could we also call those trellises? Uh, sure. So we, we've often envisioned them as if you see a trellis, oftentimes there's kind of vertical supports, then then there's maybe horizontal, you know, lattices or something like that. So we see, you know, we're probably mixing our metaphors a little too yeah, much. It's okay. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> anyway, um, yeah, so we, we identify kind of two main pillars um, that kind of support the overall trellis structure. But there's there's other pieces that we'd say are laid across there. And so, but we've often said, yeah, those two main pillars are our Sunday gathering and our life groups. Where we'd say, hey, if, if people are going to grow and be healthy within the context of this, this community, they need, need to be pressing into each of those main pillars. And then on top of that, we've had, you know, we have a number of other, you know, structural pieces, um, man school, TLC. We are in the midst of kind of a, a boom of children over the last few years and uh, a number of those approaching middle school and then soon into high school. And so we're looking at, hey, what is what is ministry for students, two students look like um, in the coming years? And so we are we're all about even it adding to that trellis, you know, as those needs arise. Um, you know, we ha then we have some other training classes, our belong class, our equip class, kind of our invest group and our Pastors Leaders Institute, all of those are, are certainly trellis pieces that are, that are attached and on there. And the, one of the beautiful things at the crossing is that we, we have a lot of people who, you know, take initiative to kind of even help start and add to some of those pieces, um, you know, with, you know, a young mom's group or, um, other, 
different, uh, you know, gatherings that happen. And so there, there's, there's a number of different pieces that are, that, that add to that structure that really provide context and avenue for people to really grow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's really, I've, I've really been, I don't know how to say it, uh, excited and humbled at, at the ministry philosophy of, of our church and you guys as leaders of just um, providing enough trellis for us to grow, but also you can tell that the focus is on the vine and kind of what you what I hear you guys say a lot in, in the pastor's meetings and just being up here rubbing elbows with you guys is, is um, just just running things through life groups you know and that's why you guys encourage our body to be in life groups because say say you know paul and stacy peterson have this heart to serve and to partner with serve six eight like and we see like their life group the vine kind of growing there you can just tell paul and stacy like hey you know you guys seem really passionate about this will you kind of help us create this trellis for the vine to continue to grow over here when it comes to serving our community being the hands and feet of jesus it's really cool to see such a leadership placed in the hands of of life group leaders too yeah yeah we and that's something we we love is because it, it empowers people to really you know pursue and operate out of their gifting their passions all those kind of buzzwords that we tend to throw on these things, but it, it, it is true because, you know, if, if, if it all lands on us as pastors and the leaders to just plan out and organize all the perfect structures, then it limits really the way that God has designed and equipped our body for ministry. And it also allows us to be able to kind of pivot and jump into an aspect of ministry through the leadership of, you know, just an everyday person and allows kind of that, that gap between, you know, pastor or clergy and just like the regular lay person to kind of be diminished where, um, somebody out there laboring hard to serve in in our city is just as much a minister of the gospel as us pastors. And so it allows us to be able to step into some of those areas that, that, that God is opening just through everyday people, um, within our body and allows us to also not be so committed to these things as if we have to just merely maintain them over time. So we've had a number of different outreach ministries and other aspects of, of ministry that have been for seasons where there was somebody passionate that had a desire to lead and, and cultivate it. But, you know, when they maybe stepped out of that, we, we didn't feel as a pastoral team that we had to necessarily then find somebody else just to plug into that spot and constantly find new volunteers and I think it's really allowed people to step into places to, to serve and to minister from, you know, their, their passions and their gifting. Amen. That's awesome. You guys hear that out there? You are all ministers of the gospel, ministers of reconciliation. And I know you guys all know that, but just an encouragement from encourager Chad, like we're all called to ministry, some of us vocationally and some of us in the hospitals and in the schools and in the old folks' homes and in the restaurants. I mean, if God called all of us to vocational ministry, all the salt would be in the salt shaker. We'd all be at the church building all day, every day. And we, we need, God has called people out to other vocations to be ministers of rec- reconciliation in those places. So encouragement to you all out there. So, uh, I have a few devil's advocate questions for you. I hear you guys always say up front two pillars in which the trellis grows Sunday gatherings where we worship the Lord together 
and life groups. My name is Joe Schmo, Rich, and I'm just wondering, is life group really that important? Like, I worship with the church every Sunday. Um, Throughout the week, I have Christian friends over. We share meals together, but I'm not in a life group. Like, why do you guys seem to push this so hard on me? Come on, man. (laughs) That's a great question. And I think the answer is, on one side, we, we don't want to be legalistic, engage anyone's standing with God status as a Christian and a disciple of Jesus by their attendance at any particular group or gathering or structure. At the same time, within our church and our leadership philosophy, we, we have seen and recognize the importance and value of care for one another and really, for lack of a better term, discipleship that takes place in the everyday stuff of life that is not very effectively ha- that, that can't very effectively happen merely through a large group gathering on a Sunday. Certainly, there's aspects of discipleship and growth and teaching and all that that occur through a large gathering of of, of the church, but there is absolutely the need for smaller groups that can actually effectively care for one another, that can, uh, a context in which you can be known yourself, where you can open up, where you can know others and care for others. And it is through life groups that allows really pastoral care of the body to take place more effectively than if it just lands on the five of us pastors. All five of us pastors cannot effectively care for the whole body. And so we have we have created these small group contexts where faithful other servants who have stepped in to, to be able to lead can can care for one another and be an extension of the of the care and oversight of, of the pastors to the body at large. And so to not put yourself in a life group is really to kind of like isolate yourself from a place to be cared for. In a, in a more personal and effective way and a place for you to really care for and reach out to others. And certainly you can, you know, have your group of friends and, and be pursuing um, some really worthwhile, you know, discussions and Bible studies. Um, and I'd say that could be great, but I would encourage you and invite you to step into the unity of, of the body and the, the, the rhythms that we've established at this church to really uh, be a part of it and be surprised, I think, by what you may experience as you step into that. Um, it allows, I think, a context in which you can be connected with people that maybe you wouldn't normally hang out with, which I think can really challenge and grow all of us individually. It can, it can help us to learn and value people in different seasons and stages of life to where we're not just drawn to those, you know, like us. And it gives us opportunity to, to learn from, from the older generation and then even, you know, pour into the younger generation and learn from them as well. And so I think there's just a ton of value um, that, that we gain from having a context like a life group in which we can, we can know others, ourselves be known. We can receive accountability, care, um, a place to really dive into the scriptures, you know, at a, at a different level. And so, yeah, I think, you know, you're not into life group i'd i'd want to sit down and just you know understand the the depth of reasons why but uh 
I think it, it is is a valuable and important part of what we are trying to do as a community. Um, and I think it, it provides a more holistic uh, path of discipleship. Awesome. I want to add to that. That was a great answer. Um, but I just want to add a couple things. My role as devil advocate is over for a moment. <laughs> I'm on your team. I think life group is an important trellis in that it's, it's, it is uniquely intentional. Uh, whereas, you know, you're having your friends over who are also Christians and love the Lord. Maybe this is just me, so I don't want to overgeneralize, but we have some friends over. We have our friends, the Panoyers over. They love the Lord. We love the Lord, but we don't, there's not like a known, uh, intention that we're going to read a Psalm together or we're going to read a chapter together of the Bible. Now we'll, we'll share, we'll be open, we'll pray for each other. Um, but not every time. And I think life group is that like, Hey, we're here cause, cause we're friends, but also like you said, maybe we're not naturally great friends and we're learning to love people in different seasons of life, but there's an intentionality there where, where the leader or the, the leader that night, even if it's not the life group leader, cause sometimes you, you pass off leadership to other people in the life group and say, Hey, how about you lead next week of like, we're going to study a book together and we know that we're going to get in the word together and we're going to wrestle with it. And how does it apply to our lives? And we know for sure we're going to check in and pray for each other. Whereas that doesn't always happen when you have other friends over. And the other thing is I've heard Aaron say it a lot lately and it's, it's really good and important how Sunday gathering, which we're going to get to in a minute is, is, uh, less people doing ministry. You know, we have uh, our preacher and the worship team and, and some greeters and, and even just when you're there just to be there and to worship, in some ways you can be doing ministry if you check on someone, give them a word of encouragement, pray for them, but it's less people doing actual ministry. And then in life group, we have, it's a smaller group. So there's more people doing ministry. There's more people are getting a chance to, to talk and to share a, an encouraging thought from the verse, uh, from the Bible and, and pray for each other. And then as we zero in even more like journey groups, pastor Aaron's always saying, then pretty much everyone's doing ministry. You know, you only have two or three people in that group. Everyone's ministering to each other. And that's a really great part about as we get into smaller and smaller groups, more and more people are doing ministry. Yeah. Yeah. That's so true. And it, it allows you to really practice, you know, some of those ministry muscles, if you will, and to really, um, even understand your own gifting and your own role, um, that, that maybe you would get lost and, and would never step into in just a larger gathering. If, yeah, taking you know, watching kids for children's ministry or music isn't my thing and whatever. But in the context of a, of a life group, there's so many different ways to, to cultivate gatherings and, you know, maybe host people at your, your place and provide an atmosphere for people to come and and study the word together. There's so many different opportunities that are available there for you to, to, to learn how to step into ministry, even if you don't see yourself in that way. And I think is, is, is so huge. So, and I, and I think I, we often say, you know, that, you know, no life group and community is going to be perfect. And if you have a, if, if, if you struggle with finding that, well, maybe you should first ask, how can you be part of creating the type of community that you're longing for? And I think if we could start there and say, Hey, how can, how can, how can I be a part of, of, you know, cultivating both the culture and the 
type of community that I long to be a part of. I think if we all took that approach, we could see our life groups really grow and flourish. That is such a good word, man. That is, I mean, we should finish the podcast right here and people should just remember that, but we're not going to finish right here, but thank you. We, we should all be cultivating and creating the type of community we want to be a part of. And I need to remember that, you know, you have warts and sometimes Smitty has bad breath and we, we love each other. We push into each other, warts and all sins and all, you know, that's, Part of what we're called to as Christians. Okay, so next devil's advocate question. My name is Joe Schmo, and I'm in a life group, and I'm pretty committed every week. But I'm just wondering, like, why are you saying Sunday gathering is so important? Like, I'll come, like, probably 50% of the time, like, two out of the four Sundays a month. Uh, I don't like big groups of people. You know, I'm worshiping with my life group in the middle of the week. Like, why is congregational worship gathering on Sunday so important to you guys? Come on, throw me a bone. Yeah, so I would answer that. You know, one, just to recognize that first and foremost, a life group we don't view as as a church in and of itself. Our life groups um, are church only insofar as they are connected and attached and born out of a larger body. And so foundationally, you know, scripture calls us to the regular committed, you know, gathering of the people, um, of the church together. And so we, we don't want to forsake that. Um, we don't want to, you know, as many churches get kind of labeled as, you know, um, you know, kind of consumer, you know, driven where you just kind of show up at a, at a large church and kind of leave without, and just kind of, you know, sit in on the service. We can kind of also, take that approach where, you know, we love the community and we love, you know, just getting together with people. Uh, but you know, the whole other aspect of the, the church and preaching and all all of that, we don't, you know, maybe, maybe I don't need that. And so I would, I would say like, there's, there's something powerful that happens when the church gathers in corporate worship together, um, that cannot just be replaced by a good small group community. And I think it allows us to be able to recognize that we are all part of something much bigger than ourselves. And it allows us to then come together under uh, the, the consistent preaching of God's word, uh, to be able to place ourselves under the scriptures together um, through the regular um, preaching week in and week out. It also allows us together to come to the table, observe the ordinances that Jesus has given to us, both baptism when someone comes to faith, but then the regular observance of the table together to remind ourselves of the gospel, to point ourselves uh, back to, to faith in Jesus, and that's what we live by. And so there's, there's something that I think we can undersell about what God is doing through the corporate gathering of the church. It's actually been through this time of, you know, with not being able to meet together through the coronavirus season that has really challenged me to even value the large gathering more. I think in, in, in a lot of ways, I think, you know, I might've swung my pendulum over towards like just this value of community and life groups just so important. And I was initially like, well, we're going to do great in this season because we already have great community and, and we'll stay connected even though we can't come on Sunday and it's okay. But what this season is actually done for me is just just caused me to long for that togetherness that we have when we come together on Sunday. Even with people that maybe I don't live as closely with, but 
I get to see them. I get to see them growing. I get to see, you know, these, these new babies who are born, um, all the kids that are being raised up within our church family. Um, all of those things, um, that, that I just, I just miss deeply. Um, the, the fellowship time and trying to get people to gather in because they're just talking and connecting. Um, it, it really allows us each week to recognize that we're something much bigger than ourselves and we're doing something together that's, that's not just even for us, um, but it's ultimately what God has, has, has called us to together uh, for our own good t- so that we can minister to one another in that setting. And so, so many of these questions about, ah, oh, should I go to that or not, is, is ultimately rooted in a question of, of what we want rather than, hey, what has God given us and called us to as the means by which he wants to use to, to grow us and, and change us. And he's given us the local church and the, the regular gathering, preaching of the word under, you know, appointed leadership um, to observe, you know, the ordinances of baptism and the Lord's table together as a, as a, as a means that God has given to us to regularly commit ourselves to together um, for, for, the, for growth and the protection of our own souls. That made me emotional, man. Just I'm pining for the day we get back together. We talked about that this morning in our pastor's meeting, and I know it might be this anticlimactic because we may be able to meet in 50 and then 75, but I think no matter what, I'm going to cry because I'm an emotional and I'm a crier, but I think when we're like fully back together, that is going to be such a sweet moment for all of us of like, we, we're here, we're together, we're singing together, we're sitting under God's word preached I just cannot wait. Wow. Um, So just maybe a side note tangent, but it's just something that's on my mind and heart kind of with regards to ministry philosophy. Actually, it is. So it's not too much of a tangent. And we're talking about Sunday morning gatherings. As far as our leadership goes, who primarily is a Sunday morning gathering for? Who is the Sunday morning gathering for? Well, I would say, first and foremost, as we gather to worship, it's often been labeled a worship gathering. Uh, we have to first ask, who are we coming to worship? And I think first and foremost, recognizing that we come together to ascribe and recognize the value and worth of our God, to look at the gospel and the way in which that magnifies the glory of God through Jesus and what he's done for us. And so first and foremost, the Sunday gathering is, is a, a declaration of God's greatness. Um, and every church that meets throughout the world that faithfully proclaims the gospel is together in those moments ascribing and, and lifting up the name of Jesus. And so it's, it's first and foremost for God. <laughs> um, secondly, in terms of, of who it is that is gathering primarily, um, the assembly of the church all throughout the new Testament. And all we see is, is a gathering of disciples of Jesus. So first and foremost, I would say it is a, a gathering of the people of God. Those who have, you know, confessed Jesus as their Lord, have put their faith and trust in Jesus are coming together to, uh, to worship, to place themselves again under the, the word of God that shapes and guides us. And so, I think what you're getting at is that the gathering, I would say, is not primarily about creating an environment in which 
you know, non-believers, those who do not follow Jesus, can come and, you know, in a sense, feel comfortable in any way, you know, not that we're trying to make them feel uncomfortable, but, but that we are, we're not intentionally trying to create an environment that is driven and catered towards those who don't follow Jesus so that we have an opportunity to declare the gospel. Now, I, I believe the gathering of God's people should be an environment and a place in which, you know, someone who does not know Jesus can come in and, and kind of observe what this new community is like, what, what the gospel uh, does when it, when it works in people's hearts and lives, how it changes them. And so they can come in and, and see how we worship. They can come in and see how we care for one another. Um, these practices that we do, they can observe and, and see them. Um, so I think there should be an expectation that non-believers do show up and are, are there. Um, but it is not first and form- foremost about, you know, creating a service for them. While at the same time, Hopefully it is a place in which they can feel welcomed and cared for and kind of get a, get a taste and a, and a, and a sense of, of what this community is like. And so, yeah, you know, some, some churches will, will maybe shape things more to be, you know, let's remove things that are, you know, viewed as maybe offensive or, you know, cater things to make people just visitors feel completely welcome. And, you know, I don't think on the flip side, again, we want to make them do things intentionally to make people feel uncomfortable. But if, if we are going to just faithfully preach the word, if we're going to faithfully preach the gospel, Jesus, I think, you know, said that that, that would be an offense. Um, and so we cannot, you know, water things down or, or change um, what we're called to be faithful to um, to try to preserve some kind of image for those who don't follow Jesus. I think first and foremost, the gathering is for the people of God to be encouraged, to, to be sent out then into the world in their everyday lives, to then be the, those who proclaim the gospel, as we always say in our spheres of influence where we li- live, work, and play. Santini's always used kind of the analogy of kind of the aircraft carrier type of thing where, you know, Sunday gathering is where we come and get fueled up and, you know, ready for the mission as we're sent out into our different places, you know, throughout the week. And so I think we, we'd say we view it more as a, as a place first and foremost for believers. Um, secondarily a place in which hopefully God can use it as a way to impact non-believers and, the, the beautiful thing is that we are firmly convinced that the gospel is as much for believers as it is for non-believers, and we need to hear it, and so we, we need to hear it preached week in and week out, and so therefore, if a non-believer is there, then excellent. We get to declare the gospel to them as well, um, and so I think if we keep that in mind, then we can create gatherings that, are, that, that serve and feed the people of God while at the same time you know, inviting non-believers to come and be a part of this beautiful thing that God is creating. Yeah. <clears throat> and I would actually argue that as we do that, those things you just said, as we keep God first and we worship him in spirit and truth and as we love each other and proclaim the gospel, that's actually more effective yeah. to our evangelism yeah. than 
saying, hey, today we're going to show a clip of a movie during our sermon time, you know, and talk about how that applies. Like you hear some seeker-focused churches do. It's just like uh, Mark Dever says, holiness is, is essential to our evangelism, not opposed to it. So when we come together and we be holy and we seek the Lord, the Lord draws people yeah. to himself through that. Yeah. And it, at some level, if we're trying to create something that's just appealing to, you know, people who, you know, just don't share, you know, same beliefs, um, same commitment to Jesus, if we're trying to, you know, create an entertainment venue or something that's just going to appeal to non-believers to gather them into our buildings, um, <laughs> we got a really high bar because there's a lot of good entertainment out there, <laughs> a lot of good things going on. And so I'm kind of like, I, I don't even want to try to play that game because we're, we're, we're never going to be able to create, you know, something that's just so amazing. And then ultimately, what are we, what are we accomplishing if we can, you know, we're not trying to just sneak the gospel in on the back end of a nice concert. Um, <laughs> so um, yeah. we want to, we want to sing songs that are boldly proclaiming the glories of God and the gospel and, you know, preach the word faithfully, even the passages that are difficult and, the passages that are somewhat obscure and we want to understand the, the whole counsel of God. And so. Amen, dude. Well, um, I'm going to say one more thing and I'll leave you with a, a last word if you want. And if not, we can just say bye bye Like Aaron says. Um, and now I forgot what I was going to say. Um, oh, th- I'm, I'm just really thankful to you and to our, to our pastors and elders for um, your focus on the vine. Thank you for giving us, as church members, um, uh, appropriate trellises to grow on, but um, really focusing on discipleship and our walk with the Lord. Really thankful, love being a part of this body. Um, thanks for sharing your thoughts on ministry philosophy. Do you have a, a final word or thought? Yeah, I'd say, I mean, I think we just always want to remember, you know, what our mission statement is here at The Crossing, making disciples of Jesus Christ for the glory of God and the joy of his people. And I think everything that we do, we need to ask, how is it in some way serving this mission? And if it's, if it's not doing that, if it's not driven towards that end, then maybe we need to rethink our investment in that. And so, um, there's a lot more that we could do as a church, but I always want to ask what must we be doing? And let's start with, um, yeah, a commitment to, to seeing disciples grow in their faith what it means to follow Jesus. And if we can add structures and programs that will actually facilitate that over the long haul, then, then let's do it. But uh, let's, let's, uh, let's get the most important thing right and commit to, to that which is most important first and foremost. So thank you, Chad. It's yeah. been a good talk. Thanks for being on. It's been a great talk. So. Thank, thank you, everyone, for listening. And um, you'll hear from us again next week or the week after. Until then, God bless you. Bye. <laughs>